Good morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the senior minister here at Turner Christian Church. It is good to be with you. We are going through a series this summer called Work Zone. And the focus of this series is to talk about why we gather on a Sunday morning and why we do the things that we do when we gather. It has taken a lot of work and creativity over the last couple of years to make sure that we've been able to gather in some way as a congregation, and the question is why? Why is it worth all of that effort and investment and creativity? And the conclusion that we've come to is that Scripture tells us when God's people gather together that he is present in a special way, and that when God is present, the things that we do take on a special significance because they are done in his name, and that God acts with us in the things that we do. And so then we've been going through our order of service and talking about what's actually happening in the service, because I want you, the sense that I want you to take away is that this is not just something that, you, a service is not just something that you come to and you enjoy as a spectator, but that it's actually something that when you come, there is something that you do and something changes because of what we do on a Sunday morning. And so what, so far we've talked about why we worship, we've talked about why we sing, which are not quite the same thing. Singing is a form of worship, but worship is much broader than singing. And we've talked about confession. Now, in our order of worship, the next thing would be communion. You'll notice that I'm skipping over communion and, uh, and offering to talk about the prayers. And that's mainly because this is Pastor Jack's last Sunday, and I wanted him to be able to do the communion meditation. And when I talk about communion, we're going to do communion in a very special way. So, we're doing things a bit out of order. That means we will cover communion in two weeks. Because Casey and I will be gone next Sunday, and so Tim Long from uh, Turner Retirement Homes will be preaching here uh, in my stead. So today we're talking about the prayers. Now this is something that, <clears throat> not necessarily the sermon that got me excited to do the series. Because it doesn't necessarily stand out to us as an especially significant part of the order of service. Because we pray a lot, right? We pray when we open. We pray during confession. We pray during communion. We pray during offering. We pray at the close. Why do we add a section of just prayer on its own when we're praying so much? What is the point of that? And I think in not understanding the point of that, it's one of the reasons why that's often something that we drop from our order of service when we need to when we need to find time. It's, oh, we're praying enough. We don't necessarily need this dedicated time of prayer. But that's because we don't quite understand what's going on when we are looking at the prayers. We call them the prayers of the church. In the Bible, they're called the prayers. Now, you may not have noticed them because they are often obscured by our English translation. So let's take a look uh, to introduce ourselves to this concept of the prayers. We're going to start by looking at a very important verse in the book of Acts. So this is right after Pentecost as the church has been, um, there's now a 3,000 person church in Jerusalem. It's the very first church. It's the first Christian church of Jerusalem. And, this, and it tells us what they did on a regular basis as a congregation. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In the normal translation, that's what it says. In Greek, what it says is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. In fact, there's quite a few places in the New Testament where it's translated prayers, but in Greek it says the prayers. So the question is, what are the prayers? 
Well, you can actually deduce a lot just from using the definite article. The prayers, whatever they are, are different from my prayers. They're different from your prayers and your prayers and your prayers. They stand apart in some way because they are the prayers. What we find from usage in the New Testament, and also as we trace that idea through the history of the Old Testament and the time in between the Old and New Testament, is that the prayers are the corporate prayers of God's people. They are the prayers that God's people as a group offer to God. As Americans, we are very inclined to take things individualistically and to think that Christianity is all about Jesus and me. The Bible says almost very little about Jesus and me. It normally talks about Christ and the church because God calls us to be a people and he interacts with his people in a special way he also interacts with us individually. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus also has a relationship with the church. And so the church offers prayers. And we find this in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in the period in between, and ever since. So what makes prayers the prayers as opposed to my prayers or your prayers? Well, there's two ways that we do the prayers. The first way is we pray the prayers when we pray as a group. So this is, Rachel does both of these things. It's usually Rachel who does this during our service, as she just did. And she does two things. The first, or one of the things is she prays on our behalf. You'll notice that the prayer that she offers is mostly we. Right? She's speaking on behalf of the church. And when she's done, we say amen. And amen is essentially a, a way of us saying we agree, we endorse, we, yes, that is our prayer. And this is a regular practice in the Old Testament in the temple. It was something that they carried over into the synagogue as they were dispersed away from Israel. It's something that they continued to do in the second temple and something that the church did as a gathering. In fact, this is almost certainly, this is certainly what Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy when he says, I urge, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He's talking to a pastor, Timothy, and he's giving instructions on how his congregation should pray, how they should pray when they gather. So, our church offers the official prayers of this congregation, the official concerns, the official requests of this congregation when we gather together and pray together. One of those ways is we all, you know, one person prays on our behalf and we all assent to it, we all agree to it. But there's another very common way that we all offer the same prayer. And it's by all saying the same words. <clears throat> this is a very common thing that would be done. This is what the Psalms were meant to be, was prayers that people could say together. So they're saying the same words at the same time and offering up the same prayer. And as there were different people during the time of Jesus with competing visions of what it meant to be God's people, they would give their people different prayers to function as the prayers of the people, to say, these are the things that God's people should be praying for. The Pharisees did this. The Sadducees did this. Scripture tells us that John the Baptist did this. And Jesus did this. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said... This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. One of the things that people will disagree on is what, what is the purpose of the Lord's Prayer? Is the Lord's Prayer something that we are supposed to repeat verbatim, or is it a model prayer that's supposed to teach us the principles of prayer? Someone said yes, and that's, yeah, that wasn't where I was going to go, but that's ultimately true. It does do both, but what Jesus is doing is he is offering us the prayers of the church in the Lord's Prayer. Okay, this is not meant to replace every prayer you ever say. Because one of the objections we might have to just you repeating the words is, well, then you never really get intimately connected with God. You're just repeating words that might become meaningless. Well, that's because the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be all of your prayer life. It's not meant to replace everything. But it is the Jesus-endorsed concerns of the church. It is guaranteed that when you say those words, you are praying within the will of God. Because the, the problem I have with saying that it's, we're not supposed to repeat the prayer is it makes it hard to understand why Jesus gave us the prayer. Because what I've noticed in studying is that when people say that we're just supposed to learn the principles of the prayer, they can't actually agree on what the principles of the prayer are. Which makes me think that if Jesus wanted us to get the principles, he should have just given us the principles instead of saying, pray this way, if he didn't want us to pray that way. And what we, you remember last week, we talked about a document called the Didache, which is this fascinating church handbook that is, it's not scripture, but it actually is so old that it was written while at least one of the apostles was still alive. And it tells us how people were living out the teachings of the apostles during their lifetime. And in the section on prayer in the Didache, it says, Do not pray like the hypocrites, but rather as the Lord commanded in his, in his gospel like this, Our Father who art in heaven, and then it does the Lord's prayer, For thine is the power and the glory forever. Pray this three times each day. Now the idea here, again, is not that that prayer is going to replace your entire prayer life, but you're not just praying for yourself. The church is called to pray to God as a body, and so... When all else fails, if you want to know what to pray for, pray the Lord's Prayer. And you're praying with God's church, and you're praying according to God's will. So, we pray the prayers when we pray as a group, or when we pray the same prayers as individuals. Meaning that you can take the Lord's Prayer home with you, and be, continue to pray the prayers of the church, even when you're not gathered with God's people. It's the ancient version of live-streaming the service. Everybody's where they are, praying the same prayers together, even though they're in different places. It's also why we give you the prayers of the church, so that you can take these home and continue to be praying for the same things as a congregation throughout the week. But as we understand the role that the prayers play in the, in the practice of God's people, first of all, as we look at Scripture, it says, or we will find that the prayers are part of how God's people serve in his presence. Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud. If you got a chance to sit down with the governor of the state of Oregon or the president of the United States, how would you use that time? Just you and that leader. What would be the best use of your time? Whether you agree with them or not, when you want to use that time to advocate for something important, to influence that person to do something that you knew of that needed doing. 
right? You have an opportunity because you have an audience with a person who has significant authority. You, the best use of that time would be to advocate for something important, right? Well, in the Old Testament, there is this sense that the people of Israel have this special access to the presence of God in the temple and that they ought to be using that to advocate. That's the role of a priest, is a priest stands between God and the people. And part of the service, part of the work that they do in the temple is to pray. We associate the temple mainly with sacrifices, but God calls it a house of prayer for all nations. And when Joel is describing the work that the priests do, the prophet Joel, he says, let the priests who minister, who serve, that's that word we looked at in the first sermon of the series, who serve before the Lord, weep between the portico and the altar, let them say, spare your people, Lord. These priests who work in God's presence, what is the work that they're supposed to do in this particular moment? They're supposed to pray. We've talked about how scripture tells us that when God's people gather together, we have special access to the presence of God because that's what he has promised us. How ought we to use that time? We serve him by bringing him the needs of the world, of our community, of our congregation, advocating for the things that need to be done. We also see, as we look in scripture, that the prayers are part of the sacrifices of God's people. A lot of times we think, and we'll talk about this also when we get to communion, we think of communion as the part of the service where the sacrifice happens or the sacrifice is involved. That's why we often call this object an altar. Right? We, we come to the altar. We have an altar call. We, we consider that object the altar. We call it a table, but we'll talk about that in two weeks. But the reason we call it an altar, or people call it an altar, is because we associate communion with a sacrifice. Scripture associates prayer with a sacrifice. And the reason is because during the sacrifices, they would do a morning and an evening sacrifice every day. And they would also offer morning and evening prayers at the same time. Well, then the temple was destroyed, but they wanted to continue to worship God, but they didn't have the sacrifices. So what they did was they continued to offer the prayers at the same time. In fact, in our call to worship, you saw evidence of this. This is a pr the psalm was written during that time, and it says, May your, my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. The sense here is that God wants us, he wants us to pray. And as we pray, we serve him. And so we make a sacrifice to him of our time and our energy and our attention by praying to him faithfully and intentionally. This mentality carries into the New Testament where the author of Hebrews says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice of praise, which is involved in prayer. That's, that's the sacrifice. It's the words that we offer him. Just like we talked about how singing is a sacrifice that we offer God that blesses him, prayer is also a sacrifice that we offer. We dedicate time to this service. <clears throat> and you probably, almost certainly weren't looking for it, but you saw evidence of this last week in the passages that we looked at from the Didache when we were talking about confession. I read you a passage that said, every Lord's Day, gather yourselves, uh, gather yourselves and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. And that may seem like the sacrifice is communion. 
So make sure you confess before you go to communion because you don't want your communion to be tainted. And that's, that's a very common mentality that we have that, again, we'll address in two more weeks. But actually, if you compare a parallel section in the book, he says, in the church, you shall acknowledge your transgressions and you shall not come near for your prayer with an evil conscience. The author of this book is concerned about people coming and making petitions before God and asking God for things with, an, uh, with a tainted heart, with, without having confessed and acknowledged their situation with God. So the sense in the early church was that the prayers that we offer are a sacrifice. That we don't do this just because we want to, but we do this because God wants us to. It's part of our service to him. So those are the prayers. That's why we do, or that's, that's what they are, where they come from. Why do we offer the prayers? What's, what are they, what's their value? Well, the prayers are how God's people bless the nations. God founded his people through Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we often will read that passage and think, oh, he's talking about Jesus, which obviously he is talking about Jesus. But that blessing doesn't, he doesn't wait until Jesus to bless people through Abraham. In fact, it starts immediately, and it starts through the ministry of Abraham. And the main way that Abraham was a blessing to others was he interceded for them. He prayed to them. He prayed for them. He didn't pray to them. He prayed for them to his God. And you'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all these people, these people of God, that as they travel in the world and as they, they set up in places and they pray for the people around them, they, those people are then blessed. Um, <clears throat> so you may know the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that, that's a very detailed example of him interceding where it ultimately didn't work. There's another story where Abraham, for the second time, because he he's a slow learner, he lies about his wife and claims she's his sister because she's apparently so attractive that he's afraid to get murdered. He's afraid he'll get murdered and, so they can steal his wife. So he says she's my sister, and the king marries her, basically, and all of a sudden things go crazy in his kingdom, and then God appears to him in a dream and tells him what he did, and so he goes to Abraham, and it says, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, the king, his wife and his female slaves, so they could bear children again. So Abraham here is playing a role in blessing the nation that he's in, even though it's a mess he created himself, which is also a common theme. But he's, he's interceding for others and blessing them by praying for them to God. This is a key thing that Israel does. And in fact, later on, when the Israelites get sent into exile... God tells them to continue that mission. In fact, it's one of the, the good things that comes out of the exile is that blessing is now scattered out throughout the nations. Because through uh, Jeremiah, God says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And all of a sudden, because of the exile, you have communities of Jews all throughout the known world praying for the good of the community they're in. And they're blessing places far flung from Israel. And that mentality of being a community spread throughout the world that, that intercedes and blesses people is carried over into the church. Again, this is what Paul had in mind when he's telling these congregations 
uh, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. It's that mentality that they carry into the world that they are God's people with special access to God's presence, and so they ought to be interceding and be blessing people. This is the way that we are a conduit for God's blessing, is that he puts us in places, and through our intercession, the blessing spreads around us. Now, this, this, doesn't, quite, this doesn't make sense to our, our normal 21st century logic anymore, because we struggle with uh, the Greek way of looking at God, because we get caught up in the questions of, well, doesn't God know everything? Why does he need me to say anything? Like, God knows all the things that need to be done, and he's good, so he'll do all the right good things. So why, my praying doesn't really mean anything, right? We'll often say things like, prayer doesn't change things, it changes the prayer. It does change the prayer, but according to God's you know, wisdom that I don't understand, he actually does involve us in what he's doing. God wants us to play a role in reconciling the world to him. For whatever reason, he actually, because he loves us, and because he made us to be his, uh, you know, to take responsibility for this world for him, he wants us to have a role. Because here's the interesting thing. Uh, Abraham prayed, let's go back to that Abimelech story. Abraham prayed for Abimelech, and Abimelech was delivered, right? But the interesting thing about that story is Abimelech had already had a direct conversation with God. That's how he knew what the problem was. He's talking with God in a dream, and God says, now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Abimelech is talking to God, and God says, okay, hang up the phone, call Abraham, tell him to call me, and we'll sort it out. Right? You may have experienced a scenario like this, if in your workplace, you jumped a rung and went to your boss's boss, and your boss may say, eh, nope, you've got to talk to your supervisor first. Right? Talk to them, they'll talk to me, and, and we'll, we'll work it out through the proper channels. Right? Now, this isn't to say that God doesn't listen to the prayers of people who aren't Israelites. I'm not necessarily saying that, but God's preferred method, according to Scripture, is that he wants to go through his people. He wants the world to go to God's people and God's people to intercede for them. He wants us to have a role. And that role comes from the fact that God has promised to respond in a special way to the prayers of his people. Again, it doesn't make sense to us in our Greek way of thinking about God and, and omnipotence and omniscience and all of that. But scripture tells us that God responds in a special way to the prayers of his people. Jesus says this over and over again. You can't get through like two chapters of John, of the Gospel of John, without finding some statement like this. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So it'll be about the third or fourth time that I've brought up this passage from Matthew. He says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Scripture tells us that there is special power in the collective prayers of God's people. Doesn't mean they're magic and that whatever we list in the prayers of the church will automatically get done the way we ask for it to get done according to the timeline that, that uh, we asked for it to get done. That is clearly not true. But God does respond faithfully and in a special way to the prayers of his people. There is power 
not just in prayer, but also in the prayers of the church, because God has decided it would be that way. Now, ultimately, God is good, and he can be trusted, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want you to now live in fear that you haven't had enough people pray for you before your next surgery or something like that. That's not, it's not a math game. This is an opportunity, an empowerment that God has given to the church that we can have this role to play in the world. So then the question is, what do the prayers actually do? What, do we, what are we actually accomplishing when we gather together and are led in the prayers of the church? The first thing that happens is the prayers of the church train us to pray. This is where we get into saying that the, the Lord's Prayer is also a model. As we say the Lord's Prayer, we are trained to pray certain things. Every time I bring up the Lord's Prayer, I, you've probably heard a million times by now, I always point out, that I say this stuff about being forgiven as I forgive others through gritted teeth. I don't like that. I don't want to say it. I want to be forgiven regardless of whether I forgive other people. But Jesus told us to pray that, and it teaches us to pray in particular ways for particular things. The prayers of the church that we offer up here are guarded, are guided by a whole list of scriptures about the kinds of things that the church should pray for. And as we hear those pray, prayers, we are trained in the kinds of things that we should be praying for. You know, if you notice that we pray for more compassion in the world and not more hatred, that trains us that we probably shouldn't be praying for more hatred in the world, right? We should be praying for more compassion and goodness, those kinds of things. I mean, that one hopefully is obvious. Hopefully you don't need to hear the prayers of the church to learn that one, but we learn these patterns of what the kinds of things we should pray for as we pray together. The, church, the prayers of the church also shape our values and our priorities. This is, this is similar but different. The prayers of the church teach us what to pray. They also should tr teach us what to care about and how to behave. Because Hopefully the Lord's Prayer trains you to pray about forgiveness. Hopefully it also teaches you to actually forgive. Right? As you find yourself saying those words over and over again, eventually you start thinking about them when there's a situation where you have a choice to forgive or not. Hopefully those words and those priorities, they, they find a way into your heart. I had a great moment during VBS where a couple of our student, I think it was student volunteers, I just overheard saying our confession of faith together. It, just, I, it, was, it was just in a casual conversation, and they, but they knew the words because they'd said it so often. The words, they form us and they change us. Now, those are, those are easy principles that you can say about anything that a group does collectively together. Here's the more challenging thing. Scripture tells us that the prayers of the church influence the actions of God. As we gather, gather together and pray, what we say influences the actions of God. Joel, the book of Joel is about a crisis in the, in the story of Israel. We're not exactly sure what the crisis is. Either there's a locust swarm that's eating all their crops, or... They're using the imagery of locusts to describe an army that's coming through and pillaging their towns. Either way, they're in trouble. What does the prophet Joel tell them to do to defend themselves from the locusts slash armies? He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly. 
Bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chambers. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. What do they do to stop this invasion? He says, get everybody together. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how young they are. I don't care if this is your wedding night. Get everybody together and we're going to pray. And, and that's the solution that he offers them to this very material crisis. Which only makes sense if it's true that the prayers of God's people influence his actions. And if the prayers of God's people influence God's actions, then that means that the prayers of the church also affect the fate of the nations and of our communities. Go back one more time to that passage in Timothy, and we'll finish out the sentence. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now that statement only makes sense if Paul is convinced that the prayers of the church will affect whether or not there is peace and quiet in the Roman Empire. Right? That, he is giving, offering prayer as an answer to a very material issue. The difference between peace and chaos in the Roman Empire. Of the capacity that the leaders of the Roman Empire have to affect the fate of others. Because if, if you pray, if you want peace to be able to practice this faith and be able to build the kingdom of God in peace and quiet, then what you should do is get your church together and pray. It will affect the course of the Roman Empire. It's weird to me. I will tell you, I am not preaching this because I figured it out. I am preaching this because I can't make a case against it from Scripture. Does that make sense? Like, this is what Scripture tells us. And it would be so much simpler and easier to say, God just does what's right all the time, regardless of what we say. But that would give us no role in his plan. And somehow, these, both of these facts are true. God is good and will do what is best. And God listens to and responds to the prayers of his people. They're both true, according to scripture. And we believe that. So this is what I want you to take home from today. First, God cares about the requests of his people. He cares about what you have to say. He cares about what we have to say. It's not an unfeeling universe out there. It is an attentive father who cares about your concerns. The list of verses in scripture, of passages assuring us that God cares about our prayers is extensive. And he cares about what the church asks of him. God also acts on the requests of his people. Now, I imagine, because this is the stage of life that I'm in, that God responds to our prayers the way I respond to the requests of my three-year-old son, right? I try to be attentive every time. He usually does not understand why I answer his requests in the ways that I do. 
usually for his good. You know, you can't, I'm not going to give you this sugary thing right before bed because it'll make tonight miserable, maybe tomorrow. But the point is that God, as an attentive father, he acts on the requests of his people, and it makes a difference that we pray and what we pray for. And finally, God changes the world through the requests of his people. As God responds to the requests of his people, that affects the course of congregations, of communities, of nations, of the world. The course of history is shaped by the prayers of God's people. One of the things I've tried to do in the past when election season comes around is remind people that voting is the least important, least powerful tool that God's given you to shape the world around you. Prayer is the most powerful tool that we have. So what I hope you take away from this is encouragement and, and amazement at the, the responsibility that God has given us and the role, that, the honorable role that we have to play in his kingdom. And we believe that every time the gospel is preached, it's an opportunity to respond. So as I'm talking about prayer and, and God's desire to hear from us and the way he responds to us, Hopefully you're hearing some kind of call to, from God to, to respond. And I'll give you a couple of the biggest ways that you can respond. One of them is to give your life to Jesus. If you realize that you don't have that relationship with God, that you don't have that, that closeness with God that comes with being his child, today is the best day for you to make that decision. Because he is waiting, he is ready to receive you with open arms and you will have the ear of the creator of the universe. Maybe you're looking for uh, a group to come together with you and to share your prayers. You know, one of the things we don't typically do in this service because it would just get out of hand, we all have our own individual prayer requests, and, and we, we all have the burdens that we carry and that we want to share with people, and, and maybe you probably don't want to talk about them in front of this entire congregation's worth of people, but we, we gather together in small groups and classes to show, share our burdens week to week, the long path of, of going through the concerns that we have, the burdens we have for our family members, the health concerns that carry on, the, the, the burdens we have for our communities. That's what our small groups are for. To encourage you to sign up through our Connect card for a, a small group or a service team uh, to get involved. And finally, if you would like to uh, consider becoming a part of this church family. We are a group of people gathered together to um, come before God and to use our access to his presence to try and build his kingdom in this place. That's who we want to be. We want to be people doing his will and praying his will in Turner, alongside our brothers and sisters in the other congregations in this town. If you're interested in, in getting to know more about us, you can check that box in your Connect card. Whatever God is putting on your heart, I'd encourage you to consider uh, uh, how you can say yes to it as we stand and sing our final song.